Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd have flashed back like three months ago, and I said, I'm going to give you $100. All you have to do is predict the next big thing in our culture. And at the time, three months ago, it was what? Nintendo Switch was a big deal. Um, Apple had come out with AirPods. Those were kind of a big deal, right? Like that was something that you would order on Amazon and it was out of, like, out of supply. I don't know if any of us, for a million dollars, would have been able to predict it was hand sanitizer, <laughs> toilet paper, and Lysol wipes, right? I mean, like, there, <laughs> there are a lot of scenarios in my head, but none of them involve hand sanitizer and toilet paper. And uh, in fact, this week, as I've been watching the news, as probably many of you have, um, like, it's ridiculous to the level. Like, this week, um, in Australia, they've had security guards, like, who've accompanied the toilet paper arrival onto shelves. This week, a guy got tased trying to, like, fight over toilet paper, and another person pulled a knife on someone in a grocery store aisle over toilet paper. And hand sanitizer is, like, become the equivalent of, like, hey, you know, hey, got some money? I got one ounce bottle here for you, right? You're like, what is happening? I mean, my undergrad was in biochem, so I like chemistry and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, this is kind of an interesting turn of events. Like, there are actual news stories about how to make your own hand sanitizer. Like, that's like a real thing. And and yet, like, none of us three months ago would have predicted this kind of week. None of us would have predicted the stock market, the way it's rolled over the last two weeks, the travel industry, predictable jobs, and all of a sudden, there's so much uncertainty. Because life picks a fight, even if you don't want to pick it. And life is filled with uncertainty. And this morning... And, and I think just the way that kind of God does certain things to, to kind of preempt us, I want to talk about the thing that we have to fight if we're going to fight for it. Now, this was a series that was planned months ago. Um, this topic was planned months ago. Um, I was not sitting around being like, hey, you know, around March, we're going to start to get all crazy for hand sanitizer. I should probably talk about this. It was on my calendar. Um, but it's actually really fitting because the thing I want to talk about that we have to fight the thing that, that we have to wrestle to the ground if we're going to fight for it is anxiety and fear. And this really has just been a week filled with anxiety and fear. And in some ways, justifiably, rightfully so. Because stuff like this is scary. And so what does it look like to fight anxiety? What does it look like to fight fear? But even more so, what does it look like to fight for peace, to experience it? And this is something that is kind of a passion point of mine because I've struggled with anxiety as long as I can remember. I remember uh, when, I was, when I was about three years old, my father passed away. And, um, and this idea of one of my earlier memories being his death. And every single night, from a, as a little boy into like almost preteen years, um, my prayer every night, even though I wasn't like, like necessarily a Christian, my prayer every night was, God, please don't take my mom because I've already lost my dad and I don't want to be an orphan. That was my last thought every single night 
before I went to sleep. And so naturally, there's some anxiety wired into me that I've worked really, really well. And so anxiety and fear is something I'm really comfortable with. And what's been amazing is I became a Christian in college, and this has been something that God has, has been helping me overcome um, for almost the last 20 years. And I want to walk through a little bit of that passage and that journey with you um, through a specific section of a letter. Because while anxiety and fear may feel like a modern problem, it is not a modern struggle. It's been around for a really, really long time. That anxiety is something that we experience. And it's an interesting experience, right? Because I've never walked by any single animal in an animal kingdom who struggles with anxiety. Never walked by a sloth biting its nails. I, I, you know, I've just, I've never seen any of that. Anxiety seems to be a very human thing that we deal with. And this ancient struggle and this ancient wisdom has the power to transform our modern lives. It's written by a guy named Paul, who I talked about last week, who was um, one of the men most responsible for the spread of Christianity, for the letters that are written that we call the New Testament. Um, he's a brilliant trilingual uh, scholar who was transformed because of an encounter with Jesus. And that he writes a series of letters that we now call the New Testament. And last week we looked at a letter that was the last letter he wrote in his life. And he wrote it from prison. This is a letter he also wrote from prison, but he actually gets out of this prison sentence. So there's a little bit of a gap. So Paul spends some time in prison, but he writes this letter to a group of people in the city of Philippi, um, which is why today we call the letter Philippians, because it was written to the group of people living in Philippi called the Philippian people. And the, Philippi, the, the, the Philippian people and the city make for an interesting backdrop for what Paul's about to say to them. Um, he writes the letter, and, and towards the end, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's an interesting letter, especially if you spend time studying history, um, and you understand this context that he's writing to. He's saying, do not be anxious about anything. He doesn't have a little asterisk. He doesn't put a except for, you know, this, this, and coronavirus. He, he says about anything, period. And in every situation, which is kind of a bold statement for Paul to write. They're like, Paul, Paul you're in prison. He's like, exactly. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I recognize that what sociologists have called our age, the age of anxiety. That's actually one of the kind of descriptors that have been put over us. And that other sociologists and researchers have even documented this strange trend in kind of the modern Western world, especially in America, where the age expectancy, life expectancy has actually dipped a little bit for certain people's. And they've even got a term for that called death of despair. Because there's a genuine uh, despair crisis and hopelessness crisis in our culture. And that even our drugs of choice speak to that. The, the type of drugs that we seek out culturally are drugs to find escape. Are drugs to find release from the pressure. 
They're, they're not like the 80s when the, the, the main drug was cocaine. These are drugs that are meant to give us release and relief from the pain and the pressure. And so I recognize that there is very much anxiety present in our culture. But if you jump back just 100 years, you'll start to realize that culturally some things have shifted. So right now there's a virus um, that's going around that's terrifying. But 102 years ago, there was another pandemic that was going around that ultimately killed tens of millions of people. And I don't even, it's not even the pandemic that I want to talk about. I want to just remind you of the simple word. It was the swine flu epidemic, um, pandemic in 1918. But the word that we now label that virus is influenza. Now, what's fascinating is where the word influenza comes from. You see, in 1918, the concept of virus was not yet existent. Virus is, is it'll take two more decades before a virus becomes an actual mainstream thought. And so at the time, there is a genuine panic sweeping around the world. You have the World War I, kind of, that's, that's happening. And so there are all kinds of theories for what, what's going on that's causing people to get sick and die. And one of the popular theories is that, well, it must be the influence of misaligned planets. Maybe that's what's going on. And so there's all this thought of what could be influencing it. And the Italian word for influence is what ultimately becomes our word for influenza. And so today, when we talk about the flu, we actually speak to the fact that 100 years ago, as a people, a modern people, we still didn't have a firm grasp of everything that was influencing and impacting our life. And so this, we live in an age where there is so far, so less uncertainty than there has ever been in human history. If you want to know what the weather is, ask Siri or Alexa, and you're going to get the forecast. But for most of human history, you woke up that morning and you had no idea what the weather was going to look like. You had no idea what what was going to occur that day. And in the ancient world that Paul's writing to, uncertainty was the way of life. Anxiety was a way of life. There were no refrigerators. There were no pantries. And so food was whatever you found that day, whatever you bought in the market with the money that you happened to have. Because of the way food was often prepared in almost five-story buildings built out of wood in super close proximity to each other, people would carry that food back, and then they would cook that food in their house in a wooden structure, which meant that in the ancient Roman world, one of the biggest kind of surprise moments that would frequently happen was buildings would burn down and fires would sweep through cities and completely erase them. And so to live in the ancient world that Paul is writing to is to be people consumed by anxiety. Sickness, plagues, all of that stuff were modern occurrences for them. There was no medicine, there was no antibiotics, there was no treatment. If you got sick, it meant you might die. And the average life expectancy then was half of what it is now because most of the time when babies were born, it wasn't really sure if they were going to make it past age five. And so Paul is writing to a group of people. When he says, do not be anxious about anything, there is a weight there that goes beyond what we can compare with. And I'm not saying that you and I don't have anxiety. I just want you to feel the weight of Paul's words as he writes to these people because everything was a source of anxiety for them. Everything was a source of uncertainty for them. And his first call to action was for them to pray, 
which in our, our modern world, right, there's almost a, an allergic reaction to this idea of like, well, prayer doesn't do much. Or, well, like, of course people say pray. Like, that's a cop-out for action. But what Paul's about to do for them in quick, succinct kind of motion is give them a pathway towards peace. Give them a way that they can step towards and experience peace in their lives. And his first step is not the only step, but it is the crucial foundational step. He's calling them to pray. He's calling them to lift their eyes up in every situation. And he uses prayer and petition with thanksgiving. He uses a series of words that shape what he's calling them to do as they pray. Because one of the things that Paul understands and that you and I oftentimes realize after the fact is that when we go through anxiety times, when we go through kind of stress-inducing seasons, it distorts what we see. When you're in the midst of a panic, the thing that you're panicked about feels bigger than it actually is. It feels stress, more stressful than it actually is. You may not believe me right now, but think about something that you were stressed out about a year ago. How does it feel now, now that it's passed? Now that it didn't play out the way you thought it would be. Now that it's not in your life like it was a year or two ago. It may still be a little stressful, but for most of us, those things are far less stressful now when we look back because they felt bigger. It was like when I go back to my um, elementary um, auditorium, when I was a small kid, the steps seemed so big and it seemed like it was so high. And now as an adult, I walk in and it only comes up to this tall. But as a, like a small little husky first grader, it was, it was Mount Everest. But as an adult, I look and it just comes up to my chest. There's an element of perspective that, that gets distorted in the midst of panic. And Paul's calling them to step back and to look up. And in the midst of looking up, he says with prayer, right, we're engaged, talk to God, but then also petition. So not only are you looking up, you're bringing and lifting up the thing that you're stressed about, that you're concerned about, that you're, you're dealing with the tension of. There's this idea of lifting up, but he says, make sure while you lift up that you bring some of the things he's already answered along with you, right? When he says with Thanksgiving, and this is a critical piece to this first step that oftentimes when we, when we take a step back and we start to pray, most of our prayers are desperate prayers rooted in the present. We don't bring gratitude from what God has already done in our past. And yet, if you begin to pray by channeling and appreciating what God has already done in your past, you find that what happens, it helps to reorient you in your present moment. When you say, God, I'm so concerned about our finances, but thank you so much for the fact that there's never been a day where we haven't eaten. And you start to chronicle with gratitude all the good things already present in your life before you come to God with the one thing not present in your life. Because it reorients you. Because I don't know about you, but as a human, I struggle with things I can't control. Anybody else have a control problem? Right? I do. And oftentimes at the core of my anxiety is me wrestling with something I cannot control. Because I live with a facade and with this foolish notion that I can control more things than I actually can. And one of the funniest but most helpful things that God ever gave us is our belly button. That's not a word most adults say out loud. You probably have not been at a cocktail party recently and they're like, how's your belly button? Is it an innie or an outie, right? Like a belly button is not something we talk about a lot. 
But I think the belly button is a wonderful daily reminder of the fact that you and I have far less control than we think we do. Because we bear the physical scar in a very cute, adorable kind of way, actually. Right? That says that you and I didn't even pick when we stepped onto this planet that we think we have control over. And that we live and we see every single day and hopefully we clean it as well because it's a reminder for us that we don't have as much control as we think we do. And when things start to press your button, just look down at your belly button. You didn't pick that thing. You didn't pick that day. And there's been a lot of days between that day and this day where things have worked out. And with gratitude, submit your prayers and petitions. And he says that when you start to do this, when you move from what if, God, to what is thinking, what is in my life, God, that he says peace will transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And what's fascinating about that is this is Philippi. And Philippi occupied a section on the Roman road that bordered on the Middle East and Asian side. And it was a primary city that any invaders coming from the east had to pass through in order to get and conquer the Roman Empire. Because this is an, an ancient world that was constantly consumed by skirmishes and battles of warring factions around them. And so as a result, Caesar Augustus makes the city of Philippi what was called a Roman garrison city. And a Roman garrison city was a city that, was, that was, um, had a larger than average presence of Roman soldiers. It had an, a larger than average presence of Roman guard houses and guard stations and posts and walls. It's like if you've ever visited Washington, D.C., um, one of the things that jumps out to you is that you notice Secret Service, you'll see motorcades. It's, like, it's a whole different city. And yet friends of mine who live there, they don't even like care when the motorcade flies by them. But you can tell the tourists in Washington, D.C. because they're all pulling out their phone when a motorcade flies by. Because they're like, look at that power, look at that display, look at that, that's amazing. And people in Washington, D.C. is just like, I can't cross the street. And then it zooms on by and they move through. Because they're used to that kind of presence in their city. So when Paul writes to these people who live in Philippi, who are used to the presence of the Roman Empire and the the constant presence of soldiers who are there always, always on guard defending them from anything that might come in. When Paul uses guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, he's literally invoking the image. He's saying, you know how whenever you walk down the street, you always see people there to protect you? This is what that peace is going to do for you. That when you take this pathway towards peace... It will start to not only promote peace internally, but you'll start to see peace as bodyguards for you. Because when things come up out of nowhere, you already have a way of dealing with it that puts them back into their place. So it's like, yes, that's stressful, but you know what? I already have a perspective. I already have a way of thinking that's helping me. Because this first step paves the way for the second step. He says, finally, it says finally in, in the version I'm reading, But the better translation would be, so now, so now that you have this proper perspective, here's the next thing. Here's the next step. You've got the, you've got the perspective piece. Now he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. His second call to action is proactive thought life. 
Because most of us have thought through various worlds ending of our own world in our mind that have never played out. If I could get back all the time I have lost thinking about the times and the things that I might lose, I would have so much more time. I don't know about you. Maybe that's not your struggle, but that's my struggle. If I could get back the time that I've lost consumed with all the things I might lose, I would have so much more in my life. Laying there at night, thinking about what if this, what if that. You see, our imagination is a gift from God. But that gift can quickly be weaponized against us with anxiety and fear. And this is why perspective is the first step, because perspective starts to grab hold of our imagination and starts to use it for our good. Because Paul is calling them to think in certain ways about certain things. Because now with that proper perspective, this second step of of proactive thought life pushes out the anxiety and fear even further from the core of who we are. That our thought lives are oftentimes where the battle for anxiety is fault or won. You see, worry isn't necessarily a bad thing if you work the worry through this paradigm. You can actually use it for your own good. It can be helpful. But if not, it can sabotage you. And you find yourself caught and trapped by this imagination that we all have that can imagine what if I lose my job or what if I get sick or what if he says he doesn't love me anymore or or what if the doctor says it's terminal or what if this never happens in my life or this never happens in my life or what if we get coronavirus or what if the vacation has to be canceled. Like there's just what ifs to what if it's the death. And Paul is saying, no, 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 let's grab hold of that. So I told you that um, I deal with anxiety. One of the things that happened when I was in my 20s was, was actually diagnosed as OCD. And so this is a legitimate struggle that I have. And one of the things that's happened over the last 20 years is I've had to learn mental disciplines. I've had to learn how to fight up here. And because um, I have two kids, and I, you know, I know genetic, it's a, it's a roll of the dice a little bit. I've been very intentional, especially with my daughter who's now eight, about fostering that type of mental discipline in her life. And so just recently, we had one of these moments that illustrates, I think, what Paul was doing here. Um, we were, it was late, she was super tired, and that's when she starts to get a little stressed. That's when I also get a little stressed in my head as well. Um, I transform when I'm tired. I don't know about you, maybe it's when you're hungry. Um, but we all have moments where we transform, and this was her transformation moment. And so um, she's like, I, I'm, I'm afraid, like this fear kind of swept over. And I was like, what are you afraid of? She's like, I'm afraid of spiders. Because she'd seen a spider that day. Um, and I was like, sweetie, she's like, but it could bite me. And it was like this genuine like fear gripped over her. And now, I don't know if you've ever had this, but telling someone not to be afraid of something doesn't normally work. It doesn't work on you. Right? Because you still think about it at night. And it doesn't work on them either. And so I, I, I'm not going to say, Ella, that's stupid. There are not a gang of hoodlum spiders waiting to leap upon you the moment you walk away from us. And so I said, okay, sweetie, I want us to imagine that there is a gang of spiders waiting for you. And she's like, Aah! I said, no, go to bed. I'm joking. I'm joking. That's horrible. Like, you know, people are like, oh, oh, okay. That, no, don't write that down. That's horrible. Okay. 
Uh, I said, okay, now, but here's the thing you need to know about these spiders. Oh, sweetie, these are horrible spiders. They all think they're funny. They all think they're funny. But they tell really, really bad jokes. And you've got to watch out because if you bump up against one of these spiders, you know what they're going to do to you? They're going to be like, hey, yo, you, lady, come here. i got a joke for you. Right? And they're really bad jokes. Have you ever had to sit through a bad joke? Horrible. It's not like daddy's jokes that are funny. These are really bad jokes. And she's like, really? And I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're the worst jokes you've ever heard. And I said, come on, I'll show you. And so we walk. And There's one right there. Oh, no, he saw you. Come here. And she's like, Daddy, what's his joke? And I was like, I don't know. I'm funny. I can't make up a bad joke. You know, like, that's hard. So I have to, like, make up a bad joke. And she was like, oh, Dad, that's horrible. I'm like, I told you. Like, this is going to happen the entire way. We've got to hurry. And so we stopped, like, five or six times on the way to the bathroom. And it's like bad joke after bad joke after bad joke. And by the time we get to the bathroom, we're laughing so hard at how bad these spiders' jokes are. And then, as quickly as it came, it goes away. And it's just like, sweetie, our, our minds, our imaginations, they can work for us or they can work against us. And when Paul is calling us to think proactively, this is exactly what he's doing. What are you most afraid of? Maybe it's real, but is it possible you've drawn on some things? You've made it a little bit more certain than it actually is. Or you've made the impact or the like, effects of it stronger than it actually is. Because most of us, our imaginations work against us. And Paul is saying, no, use it to work for you. Think these ways about these things. And if you do, he says, finally... That you should, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me. So he's kind of qualifying it all again for this last P. Put it into practice. See, it's not enough just to have a proactive thought life. You have to act on those proactive thoughts. So if you're consumed, if you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed by your finances and all the what ifs and all the things you can't control, a proactive thought life puts the control back on your side and say, okay, what can I control? Okay, well, do I have a budget? Am I, can, can I live for this season on less than what we actually make so that I create margin? Can I actually start to practice generosity? Because if I'm so holding tight to what I have, if I practice generosity, I'll find that it actually helps me become even better stewards of what I already have. You put it into practice, and what you find is when your beliefs get activated through behaviors, it starts to turn that peace into reality for you. You start to experience it. If it's around relationships, someone leaving you, or some, some type of like you know defect in the relationship, or something that you could or did or might do wrong, have a conversation with the person. Adjust how you're acting towards them. Do something different and how you're thinking different about it. Put it into practice. Live it out. I mean, whatever it is for you that's consuming you with stress and anxiety, circle it, write it down, and then work your worry out of a proactive imagination. Start to plan and think what you can do or should do with it. And then put it into practice. And part of this is tied to faith. 
I mean, the, my mother-in-law, you know, she has this little saying about if you're going to pray for rain, you gotta, you gotta have to, you have to walk out of the house with an umbrella, which is, I just think, a very kind of clever way of what Paul is saying here, that you have to put into practice that what you're praying for. And if you're asking God, God, will you, will you help provide a job? And then you're doing the proactive work of applying for a job and doing your best to prepare, and then you show up for the, like, the interview. Like, this is, this is the process, but you know that it's okay. Like, you walk in, and you're like, all right, something is bigger than me at work here today. And you go in, and you experience a little bit more peace regardless of what plays out. But this practice is that last step in that path to peace. But Paul leaves us with one last thing that I want to leave you with. And he says, there's this uh, almost, if you, I like words, so it kind of jumps out at me. At the beginning where it says, in the peace of God, and then he goes into this path. And then he says in the final section, in the God of peace. So there's this like double. Because it's one thing to have the peace of God. He says, but I want you to realize that there's actually the reason that we can be confident in all of this is that there's a God of peace. And the God of peace is going to be with you. That Paul writes this in prison. And he's calling a group of people who are not in prison to not be anxious about anything while he's sitting in prison. And the prison back then is not like prison today. Your food was not part of the perks or some of the amenities in prison in the day. So if you were a prisoner, there was no guarantee that you had food coming. You, de- you depended on someone else's kindness showing up to that prison cell to give you food that day. There was no one making sure the temperature was okay or that you were getting exercise outside. That was not part of the deal. So here's a man who's living in a stressful situation, and he's writing to a group of people, and he's saying that you can experience peace. And the reason why is because he's experiencing peace, which is more than a feeling which is greater than your circumstances, which is stronger than your situation, which is bigger than whatever it is that feels so big for you right now. That peace, at the end of the day, from the Christian perspective, peace is a person who is with you, not a feeling you do or do not have. And he says, that God of peace is with me. In the ancient Christian world, one of the early symbols, uh, if you were to go to Rome today, which I know most of us would not right now, but if you were, outside of Rome is the catacombs, which were the ancient burial grounds for most of the early Christians prior to uh, Christianity being legalized in the Roman Empire. And if you were to walk through the catacombs, 50, 60, 70 feet underneath the ground, you'll notice periodically on tombs cut into the rock and limestone, a symbol of an anchor. An anchor was an early Christian symbol. And the idea of an anchor was that no matter what was going on surface, the reason the ship was stable was because something underneath the surface that held it, that was stronger than the storm above. And Paul had experienced over and over and over and over again that the person, this God of peace, Jesus Christ, was stronger and greater than the storm. It was sure. It was a foundation. He had learned that even when your world is falling into pieces, you can still stand in peace. That you can still be strong. And even when he was writing it, not sure of how it was going to play out, not sure if death was going to show up at the door one day and walk him to the end of his life, 
he was still advocating and still writing letters and still calling people to taste and experience peace. Like, let me just be real with you. Like, what he's talking about isn't something that you're going to catch on Oprah's soul food. This is not hype. This is, this is not feel good. This is no matter what is going on, I'm good. Like, I, I recognize that this week, a lot of people have been afraid. And that we carry with us a fear because there's constant news of things that are genuinely concerned. And should cause concern. But as I said last week, the thing that shakes us most about this thing is that one, we can't control it. It's uncertain. But what it reveals for all of us is the fact that we all are going to die one day. This disease that's so scary that it might kill you doesn't change your chances or my chances of dying. It's still 100%. And I think there is something to be said about walking in wisdom, right? I'm not advocating for licking subway poles, okay? But I'm also saying that we don't have to live our lives in fear gargling bleach, which is also something people have been doing, which is also not a good idea, okay? Let me be very clear on that one. In any circumstance, not a good idea. But um, I was talking with someone this week and I was headed into the city for a meeting and they're like, you're not afraid? It's like, no, I want to be wise. I'm like, I'm not going to lick a subway pole. I got hand sanitizer. But I'm not afraid of dying. Like, I know I'm going to die one day. I'm not afraid of death because I know who holds my life. I'm, I'm not afraid of an invisible virus or a visible felon or anything in between. Because what has me is greater than what could potentially come over me. And that even last night, because my daughter was concerned because all the kids were talking about this thing. I was like, sweetie, the God who we're about to pray for and thank for this food. Like we thank him for our health and we thank him for the fact that even when they're sick, that there's medicine, that there's doctors, that there are medical professionals. But we think of even more the fact that God is present in our sick days and God is present in our awesome days and everything in between. That he's our hope and he's our confidence. He's our peace. He's our person who stands with us. And if there's anything that should mark us, for those who are Christians in this room or listening, is that we should be people who walk with a little bit of peace, who have a little bit more hope, a little bit more confidence as we hand sanitize and as we do things that are wise. And that at the end of the day, our ground is not shaken by the headlines of the day. Because we have a greater headline that trumps all the other headlines, which is death has been defeated. The thing that separated God from man has been destroyed. That he conquered death. And the one who conquered death for me is with me. And no matter what happens to me, he is greater than that. He is stronger than that. And I have been in the room with people who had this type of holy confidence, who had this type of expectation. I have held the hand of people who are taking their last breath. And I have seen people who've crossed over from this life to the next with a complete, absolute confidence and peace. And I'm telling you, it is possible for you, no matter who you are, to experience that peace. And when you have that type of anchor for your soul, 
that no matter what storm you find yourself in, you may feel the rocks and you may feel the shakes and you may feel the bumps and you may even get a little salt water in your mouth. But the anchor holds and the storm doesn't destroy because something greater has you. And so for us, no matter where you are today, if you're here and you're walking through a situation and a circumstance and anxiety and fear is completely winning, I would just say to you, you can have peace even if your world's falling to pieces. And if you're here today and you want to know what that peace of God looks like, I would point you to the person who is that God of peace and that you can experience, taste, and actually begin to live out that. And in our app, we have something called Explore Faith, and you can click on that. And I actually have a little video where I talk about how you can be confident and have that peace, how you can strip back a lot of the religious confusion and just get to the core of what paves the way for that peace through Jesus. And if you're here and you're like, man, this is my struggle. This is where I want to go. Like, I need, to, I need more on anxiety. I need more on, like, how I can taste peace. Inside of our message notes, I've loaded up a couple things for you. One of the things that I do every single week, you've probably picked up on it if you've been here a few times, is I only typically take one passage and teach from it. And the reason why is that there have been a lot of people historically who can cherry pick scripture passages and they use that to do God awful things. And I'm very, very passionate about making sure that even if you don't agree with the Bible passage I'm preaching from or speaking from, that you, you and I are on the same page in how we understand it, that I'm giving you its historical context so that you understand its original intent and I'm walking you through the implications of that. And because of my intentionality, because of our intentionality with making sure that we're so clear in how we teach the Bible here, we don't pick a lot of Bible passages to pick from because that doesn't help you and it doesn't help me. So I've put some more Bible passages in the message notes if you want to go a little deeper. If you want to read more passages about anxiety, about peace, about fear, I've loaded some of them in there to help you in that journey. But I just want you to know, that's why we only do one passage. is because I don't want to keep you here all day. You probably don't want to be, nor do I want to be. And so I'm just going to do one. But there are like 10 or 15 already loaded in there for you. So you can go deeper. And for those who are really struggling, I loaded a reading plan of short devotional thoughts for five days to help you in that process too. And you'll find that in the message notes as well. Because here's what I know. No matter what you're going through, no matter how much or how traumatic or how unstable or how uncertain your life may feel, even if it's falling into pieces, you and I can step into peace. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.